0: Well, this morning we're going to continue in our exposition of the Gospel of Matthew. If you would, turn to Matthew 5. If you would, read with me, beginning in verse 33. Jesus is speaking, Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely. But shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no, because anything more than this comes from evil. Father, we come to you this morning once again asking for help that your word might have its way in our lives. We submit to the authority of your word and ask you to speak to us that you would bring illumination by your spirit and you would bring faith by your spirit. You would bring hope by your spirit, that we might live lives that bring glory to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In Matthew 5.20, Jesus makes a stunning statement to his disciples. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These scribes and Pharisees had a self-made righteousness of their own, which they expected would be pleasing to God and would be their way into heaven. But there is no self-made righteousness. Our righteousness comes alone in Christ. Our righteousness is his righteousness. And when he says here that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, he is talking about the righteousness he gives us through saving faith, through the gospel. And it is a a righteousness that is to characterize our lives. And as Jesus then afterwards begins uh, going into the depths of his Sermon on the Mount, and then these six illustrations to describe what righteousness in the kingdom of God looks like, he he is telling us this is what life in the kingdom of God is. This is how we are to live. And so we have been through three of these illustrations already, on anger, on lust, on divorce, and now he is talking about oaths, which just seems a bit out of place. These six illustrations that that follow this statement all have a a meaning and a purpose. And and the Pharisees, as you well know, they have been creating a not just a righteousness of their own, but laws of their own that exceed the law of God. And Jesus is is actually just un Unraveling these false interpretations, these manipulations of God's law. And that is why he repeatedly says, you have heard, but I say, but I say. And he is after true righteousness in our hearts before it is seen in our behavior. Looking godly on the outside like these Pharisees and scribes looked like is no godliness at all if it's not true on the inside. And in these, in these passages, these illustrations that we have been studying these past weeks, Jesus is asking, what anger dwells in your heart? What hidden lusts tempt you? What unspoken thoughts about your marriage make you consider divorce? He's after the heart. All, all these things, all these illustrations speak of unseen beliefs and attitudes and desires and thoughts that Jesus is looking to radically transform so that how we live on the outside is, is true of what is going on in the inside as a disciple of Christ. In this fourth illustration, we see how the scribes and Pharisees approach another law, the making of oaths or swearing or making a vow. And and just like the law on divorce that we studied last week, it didn't take long for the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, to pervert the law on oath, to manipulate it, to meet their own ends, to serve their own selfish desires. And when Jesus says, but I say to you, his main point in this passage— About oaths where it can, it can seem a bit as I was studying it. I'm just thinking, how does this fit? But really what Jesus is saying here is very simple. He's, he's simply saying this, tell the truth, tell the truth. Now, there are three passages that will help us interpret this passage this morning. Leviticus 19.12, which we'll read in a minute. Numbers 32 and Hebrews 6.16. And it's in these passages that we're, in a similar way like we did last week, we're going to see God's purpose for oaths in the Mosaic Law. And then we'll see the scribes and Pharisees' misuse of the law. And thirdly, we'll see Jesus' fulfillment of the law. Now, in the Old Testament, when an oath was given, and it was always given in God's name. So when somebody made, a, made an oath, gave an oath, it was in the name of the Lord that they would do it because it meant that God was witnessing this promise, this vow, this oath being made. And this meant when when someone would swear to do something, like we would read in Genesis 21, where, where Abraham is swearing to Abimelech, he's saying that I will, I will... I will do right by you. He says, now therefore, Abimelech says, now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me. It was before God that Abraham made an oath to Abimelech. And in the Old Testament, when a person made an oath, they were fearfully aware. They were were very acutely aware that the oath was being witnessed by God And that they were being held accountable by God to this oath that they were making. And that there was serious consequences for not holding up your oath. And so in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic Law, we see that we are to keep an oath. And in Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. In other words, do not make an oath falsely and in numbers 32 when a man vows a vow to the lord he shall not break his word now jesus he's not directly quoting mosaic law here but he's giving a summary of old testament laws and testament and, and precepts which require when people make a vow, that they're to keep them. They're there to do what they say. Specifically, the law about oath requires the speaker to call upon God. In other words, Mosaic law was saying, listen, when you make an oath, you only call upon God. You don't make an oath by any other thing, but by God alone. He is the one that's to witness this. And he is the one who will punish you if you break it. And his purpose for doing this, God God had Moses institute this law because he was aware of the sinfulness of men and women's hearts. And it was a law that was put in to restrain the evil that our tongues can bring. And all of us are aware of the evil that our tongues can bring. We're aware, even as Christians, we're aware how... How, our, how we can use our tongue, how we can use our speech in sinning against someone else. I mean, I, I know there have been times when Marilyn and I have been in an argument and we've had this conflict. And I, and I know if I say this thing, it's going to blow us up. And then I thought, but it will feel so good to say it. And the temptation is there. And there, at times, I've given in to that temptation because the tongue can be evil. James lets us know this. In James 3, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. In other words, he's able to control his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. They're so large and driven by strong winds, but they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And that is why the Mosaic law was put in to restrain, the oaths were put in, because God is so aware of our, our temptation, our predilection to, to doing these things, to using our tongue in this, we, in this way. And James makes it clear, since the fall of humanity, the tongue has been our problem, Just look back in Old Testament history. Adam and Eve immediately blamed someone else for their sin. So it's understandable why oaths were installed by God early on to restrain. Just as the the law on divorce protected women, the law on oaths was given to protect God's name and to protect God's people from misuse. So that's the that's the the mosaic law the reason for this law. Secondly though, the scribes and Pharisees misuse this law. In verse 34 and 36 we see how Jesus is saying, "But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, at all, either by heaven or for it is by the throne of God or by the earth for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make One hair, white or black. I don't care what kind of coloring you get at the grocery store. There's a point here. Like the previous misuse of the law, the religious leaders figured out a way to misuse this Mosaic law by teaching that if you swear by other things rather than the name of the Lord, then when you were making an oath, you were free to break it. Since God's name wasn't used. In other words, it's okay to lie at certain times. It's okay to break your promise. It's okay not to fulfill your commitment since you didn't use God's name. You can swear by heaven or you can swear by the earth or you can swear by the hairs on your head. But since you're not using the name of the Lord, that's okay. So if you break the vow... God's not going to punish you. That's what they were teaching. They reworked this Old Testament law so that they would appear righteous when they broke their vows. They would appear righteous as though they were being obedient to the Mosaic law because they were not using the name of God. And so they used their their elaborate rewriting of this law and, and were able to make all the vows and make all the promises they wanted and not worry about having to keep their commitments to say that this is what I said and this is what I will do. They taught that a person could swear an oath by heaven, by earth, by the temple, by any other thing, because it would impress people. Because when you made, in the Old Testament, when you made a vow, when you made an oath, and you did it in the name of the Lord. You were saying God is witnessing. And and that is telling that person there, here's my collateral. God's my collateral. I've made this in his name. And here, these scribes and Pharisees were just doing this to impress, thinking, well, we're making a vow, and it looks good, but it was lie-making. It was not oath-making. It was considered... Perfectly acceptable to do this because it wasn't done in the name of the Lord. And the command in Leviticus 19, you shall not swear falsely by my name, was in, was interpreted, misinterpreted, completely to mean that swearing falsely by any other name was okay. And that is what Jesus is addressing here in Matthew 5. And he sweeps this self-serving approach The self-serving rewrite of the law aside by declaring that trying to skirt around the truth because they think they're avoiding God's presence is not possible. And here's why. What Jesus is after is heaven is God's throne. The earth is his footstool. Jerusalem is his city, and he, in his sovereignty, numbers the number the hairs on our head, and they, he chooses the color of our hair. And what Jesus is saying here is: no promise can ever be made, no word can ever be spoken without it being done in the presence of God, because God is everywhere; He's omnipresent. So when you swear by heaven, you're swearing by. The throne of God where God dwells. Earth is his footstool. That's where he dwells. Jerusalem is his city where his temple is. And the hairs of your head, he created you. There's nowhere you can go from his presence. No promise can ever be made. And no word can ever be spoken without it being done with God Being present and coming up with some creative way to get around God's word and God's truth won't work. I remember as a kid, if my parents asked me, you know, did you take some cookies out of the pantry? I could say no as long as I had my fingers crossed behind my back. Because fingers crossed meant that it was okay not to tell the truth because I really didn't mean what I was saying. And I was protected. Why well, I was deceived, and I was disciplined, and they didn't believe in crossed fingers. Now, it, it might appear that this illustration on oaths has little relevance to our day and age, because we don't use oaths. We don't swear, typically by God, as they did in the Old Testament. And yet, brothers and sisters, people actually do this more than they realize, when someone is caught doing something wrong in our society, like lying or stealing or whatever, they try to convince others with an oath. I swear in my mother's grave, I'm not lying. Well, there's an oath. As God is my witness. Oh, well, there's an oath. By all that is holy. Well, there's another oath. And even more subtle than this is which I have used and I've heard others use many times when we use phrases like, well, I, I honestly didn't know. Or we start a sentence with honestly, I, it's not as bad as you think. Or, or honestly now. Now, when we say that, are we actually saying that there are a lot of other times I'm not honest? It's, it's, it's a form of an oath. And what Jesus is after in this passage. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. By anything. Heaven, earth, Jerusalem, the hairs on your head. But let what you say be simply yes or no. And this is where Jesus' fulfillment of the law comes in. In this passage, he is making a clear statement. Again, you have heard it it was of old. You shall not swear falsely. You shall not perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Let what you say simply be yes or no. And then he goes on to say anything more than this comes from the devil. It's come. It's evil. He demands truth. He demands truth. That that is what he is saying here. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Be truthful. There is no such thing as a white lie. That's a scribe and Pharisee invention. All lies are evil, all lies are wicked. It's The truth or it's not the truth. There's no in-between. He demands truth. Christ demands truth because He is the truth. And because we are now united to Him by His death and His resurrection, we must be truthful. He took away our sins on the cross, our deceit, our lies, our heart that was hard, our heart that was... We were dead in our sins and He went to the cross that He would take away this power of sin over us as we read in Romans 6, that we would no longer be under the dominion of sin so that we don't have to lie. We're not, we're not liars now by nature because Christ has changed our nature. If any man is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away, the new has come. Our righteousness as disciples of Jesus Christ must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees who failed to be honest, who failed to tell the truth, who crossed their fingers when making an oath. And Jesus simplifies here for his disciples and us what we are to say. Can you come help me move? Yes. Would you like to come for dinner? No. <laughs> yes or no. It's that simple. Again, this passage is really not about oath as it is about truthfulness. Anything less is sin. And God's hatred for not being truthful is so evident in scripture. It is so clear. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. White lies are an abomination to the Lord. Psalm 58. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth. Speaking lies, they have venom like the venom of a serpent. That, that's the description of a liar. It's going back to the garden, to the serpent. Who is is the father of lies. And so Jesus is saying, brothers and sisters, as those who now are clothed in my righteousness. Who are followers of me. Who are called my disciples. Who who has a God that, that is always present. Be truthful. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. And James repeats that in his epistle. Now, interestingly, Jesus is not saying oaths are evil because God himself made oaths. In Hebrews 6.13, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. But he is also saying that as Christians, because we have this righteousness, because we're united to Christ, and because of that righteousness, we don't need oaths anymore to prove that we are honest. And that's what the Old Testament saints did. They used oaths to prove that they were being honest. We don't need to do that anymore. God has transformed us. From those who were once dishonest and deceitful and liars to those who speak the truth in love. That's who we are. And although our tongues are capable of sinful speech, as James tells us, we're no longer under the power of sin so we can speak truth. Leave with that today. We we don't need to swear an oath before making a commitment or, or giving a promise or making a vow because Jesus has transformed our hearts by grace we 're now those brothers and sisters as christians we 're now those who desire truth that 's why we read truth, we desire truth we 're transformed to love truth, and so let us let us let our yes be yes and our no be no now at the end, where he says anything more than this comes from evil. What, what he's saying here, and which is a sobering statement, is that it's evil when we're untruthful. And it's an evil that comes from our own hearts, our own sinful desire to get what we want or protect something or to hide something. It comes from listening to the evil one whom Jesus describes as a liar and the father of lies. Now, simply put, Jesus teaches us from the Old Testament, we must not lie. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And he teaches us from the New Testament, do not take oaths at all and do not make commitments you do not intend to keep or are unsure about keeping. Yeah, I'll be there to help you move. Unless something else comes up that's a little bit more appealing. And besides, other people are going to show up, so I'm not going to be missed. Oh, yes, you are, because it turns out you're the only one who would have shown up. Don't, don't tell half-truths. Don't leave out parts of the truth in a story. Did you take the cookie from the cookie jar? No, Dad, I didn't take a cookie from the cookie jar. I took three cookies, but I didn't, I didn't take a cookie, Dad. And that's what you asked. You asked if I took a cookie. And do not embellish. I remember once I, it was I was I was a brand new Christian and this older saint was talking to me and he was asking me about my life and I said, "Yeah, I have a tendency. I can I can exaggerate at times." And he just looked at me and says, "Oh, you lie." <laughs> exactly. Daniel Doriani will finish with this. Said this in his commentary. So let us hear Jesus's call to truthfulness. Let us measure our words and speak carefully so that yes means yes and no means no. Let us describe events without the distortions, theatrics, embellishments, and exaggerations that mislead our neighbors. Let us not claim to know what we do not know. Let us measure each promise so that we can mean what we say. Yet, let us also admit that Strive as we will. We will never master the tongue. The tongue is too loose. The heart is too wild. So after we hear the law of Christ, let us plead for the grace of Christ. Amen. Father, may your church, may each one of us live with the heart that desires truth. Lord, may we speak in such a manner that it glorifies your name in every word we say, every commitment we make. Help us to always let our yes be yes and our no be no for the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.